Lord, we love you. We love your word. So, God, we want to stand under the word and allow the word to dictate to us the truth that our hearts would line up with the reality of the truth of your word. Now, Jesus, I'm asking that you would release the spirit of wisdom and revelation regarding this subject of healing and who you are as the healer. And I am asking you that even tonight we would have a manifestation of divine healings and miracles, even in our midst. For your name is powerful. Your name is the only name given under heaven by which we must be saved, delivered, and healed. So Lord, we come under the authority of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth right now. We ask you to impart revelation to us regarding the power of that name. In Jesus' name we prayed. Everybody said amen. I want to just start off by saying this. I know for sure, and I know several individuals, and then I know there's more that I don't know, but uh, I know for sure many of us have uh, prayed and believed for either our own healing or the healing of a loved one and have had uh, challenging results. Many of us have prayed and believed and, and, and asked the Lord to heal uh, and perhaps the person never got healed or we didn't get healed and, and perhaps that even ended in um, the person dying. And I, and I, I know what that's like. I have, I have laid my hands on uh, two friends that have died untimely deaths asking the Lord to raise them from the dead. And both times, neither one of them got up. And both of them were believers, loved Jesus, had uh, their life taken in an untimely manner, had every reason to get up and finish their course in this life. And so I just believe that, you know, it has to be. And so uh, laying my hands on them, watched them not, not live, and have laid hands on uh, friends and family that have had sicknesses and, and had, had friends die with cancer and different things. And and so I, 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 am, um, I am sympathetic and empathetic to your plight in um, having prayed and not gotten the results, not gotten the results that you desired to get. And so I want to say on the front end, A, that I understand that feeling and, and that the, uh, the challenge of that when it comes to this issue of divine healing. Because what will happen for us many times is we will... Uh, uh, lean into healing. We will try to exercise our faith in healing. And when we don't get the result, many times all sorts of arguments and uh, you know different reasons why it didn't work will come in our minds. And it will sort of set a course for us as it relates to this issue of healing. And, and, and secondly, in, in a negative way, what I mean is it, it'll uh, cause us to be, have walls up as it relates to healing. And then secondly, many times, uh, if we stay sick or if the person we prayed for stayed sick or gets worse, uh, we'll take it upon ourselves and, and come under shame uh, because that person didn't recover because we are still battling with sickness. And I, I want to release you from shame. There's, I want to release you from shame. For there's no shame uh, in Christ. God does not motivate us with shame. And when you are under shame as a result of this issue of healing, that is a, an attack of the enemy. 
That's what that is. It's trying to keep you from the truth of the Lord as it relates to this issue of healing. Because healing is absolutely a fundamental and core issue of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's absolutely foundational. And if the enemy can cause us to be in shame and condemnation over this, then he can keep us out of one of the most dramatic blessings that the Lord has authored for us in this age. And that's the issue of physical healing for our bodies. And so I want to release you from that. If you are battling with that, I want to say, no, that needs to go in Jesus' name. And it's, it's, it's not the motivation of the Lord. That's the enemy trying to attack your mind. And uh, you do not have to remain under shame for your own sickness or anyone else's sickness. Now, I'm going to come back in a few moments, and I'm going to say some rather strong things. And my desire isn't to say things that would bring you back under condemnation or shame. That's not the point. But I want to do what the Scripture says. I want to speak the truth in love that we would grow up. We would grow up. I need to grow up, and, and we need to grow up. Uh, in, in Christ, and I'm not like you stinking immature little people, you need to all grow up. What I mean is, we need to get more mature in Christ, and more mature in the knowledge of God. And I'm convinced that's where faith, uh, that's where it germinates, is when we have a right knowledge of God, then faith is able to engage. But when we believe wrongly about God, we have faith in a wrong image of God, and that's no faith at all. Faith will not work. And so we have to have a right knowledge of God for faith to engage. And I want to I wanna, uh, discuss some issues regarding the knowledge of God and the authority that's in the name of Jesus. For I believe that is a core issue to this, this, uh, this, uh, this topic of healing. And so I want to look at Matthew 28. And I just want to begin to work through some thoughts regarding the name of Jesus and I, I want there's some things that our staff and, our, and those that are connected with the platform and what we do and keeping the, uh, the night and day prayer going that we need to change a few thoughts. And I want to say right on the front end, we have used in the model of prayer that we employ, we employ a model called Harp and Bowl. And we have used the name of Jesus in the model as a tagline to identify a part of the, the model in prayer. And I, I, while I don't think there's, that's demonic or wrong or evil to use it as a tagline or to use it as an indicator of something that's coming in the model, what I want to say is when we reduce the name of Jesus to a tagline in the prayer, we have absolutely lost the value of what the name of Jesus is. And so that makes way more sense to anybody that's, that um, is on a worship team or ministers on the platform and so we have to escalate what the name of Jesus actually means to us when we employ that name. It means so much more than now the singers, it's time for you to sing. And so we've got to know that. We've got to hear that. All right, Matthew 28. I, th here's where I'm at. I have got so many things to say, and I can't say them all. And I just hope I say something that makes sense. That's kind of where I'm at right now. Because I've been on this topic real serious for four weeks. I mean, just staring at it every single day. And I've looked at every single scripture on healing in the New Testament. I mean, every single scripture. There's 171 in the New Testament that use the word name. I've read them all. I looked at every healing account in the Gospels and the book of Acts. 47 in the Gospels, 17 in the book of Acts. I've checked every single one of them and begun to just, what I did was I un, 
I untied all my theology on healing, which I've looked at healing a lot over the years, and I've begun to restring it and retie it up because I just wanted, you ever do that? You just sort of wash it all clean and go, okay, start over. All right, point one, and that's what I've done. And I've just gone through it and just been immersing myself in these verses continuously. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm just full of these issues, and I really, really, really need to uh, get it over to us. And so hopefully I'll make a good point tonight and not give you 17. And if I do give you 17, write fast. Matthew 28. We will read it right now. Okay. Verse 18. Jesus came and spoke to them, and he's saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's read that again. Jesus came, and he spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We understand these verses as the Great Commission. The Great Commission. And it is Jesus commissioning his church to disciple nations. Now what we've done in modern times, as we have reduced this uh, commissioning to evangelism. What, we th- what we've heard Jesus say was, disciple nations, which is governments, their economic structures, their, you know, everything having to do, you know, their entertainment systems, disciple everything about not a nation, the nations, all the nations, because disciple them and teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And we've reduced that to doing evangelistic crusades. This is a much grander commission than we've ever made it to be. This is all about the the earth being completely prepared, not just for the rulership of Jesus, but for the uh, eternal father to come and make his abode among men, like Revelation 21 and 22 describe. Now, this is about every nation on the earth being completely discipled into the gospel, into the, the Sermon on the Mount realities, unto the Father coming back. That's what this is about. Jesus will come and prepare the earth for a thousand years, and then after that, guess what? The eternal Father is going to come and make his abode among men. This, this thing goes on for a while, beloved. We're not turning into fat babies floating on clouds, and that's the end of it. That, this doesn't have, end like that. And so this has got dramatic implications. However, we've made it mostly about doing evangelism and having altar calls. But, but it's not about that. It's about getting the culture of Christ's kingdom into every facet of every society on the planet. Now, part of the way that that transpires Part of, the way, part of the way that cultural shift happens is by the manifestation of the power of the kingdom of God on the earth. 
For the manifestation of the power of the kingdom of God is the calling card to the reality of the truths of the kingdom of God. I'll say that again. The manifestation of the power of the kingdom of God is the calling card to to the reality of the truths of the kingdom of God. And so he tells us, this is my culture, and he backs it up by releasing power to prove that he's got a kingdom that's from another place. Does that make sense? And so in this commissioning, Jesus makes an amazing statement. And if you'll give me just a little more volume, I won't yell. Or I won't yell as much. So just give me a little more. He says, all authority. Beautiful, thank you. All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Now muse on that thought for a moment. All authority has been given to Jesus in the realm of heaven. Every angel and every demon in the heavenly realms are under, they're beneath the authority of the man Christ Jesus. He can move every angel and every demon at his whim. They are all under his authority. Now that's pretty amazing. That's, that's way, way up there on the, you know, the, you talk about you know, people that have authority. That's, that's the highest authority there is. And then he takes it and, and adds a little something to it. And he goes, all authority, not just in heaven, but all authority in the earth realm has been given to Jesus. Now consider that. He's saying, I can move national boundaries whenever I want. I can cause, you know, people to to sway this way and move that way whenever I desire. I was thinking about when they caught the 153 fish. They've been fishing and fishing and no fish. And Jesus says, "Cast cast your net over there. And Jesus causes 153 fish to swim as fast as they can to get in their net before they pull it up. How did he do that? All authority in the earth has been given to him. And then he says, go, therefore. The point he is making is, I have all the authority there is in all creation, and I am commissioning you to go in my authority. I'm commissioning you to go under my authority. Now that right there is a very powerful reality that I'm going to tell you most of us have not tapped into, including the guy holding the mic. All authority in heaven and earth is Jesus's. It's Jesus. He's got all authority up there and here. In every realm, he's got the authority. There's not a realm that exists that he doesn't have the authority. And he has commissioned you and I to go 
in his name with his authority. That's what it means. When you go in his name, you go with his authority. Now, there's not a special anointing that you have to have to go in his name. You simply have to be a believer. And Mark 16 gives us clarity on that. He says, they that believe in my name, that's under his authority, they'll cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. If they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. They will take up scorpions. And when they lay their hands on the sick, the sick will recover. How? In his name. In his name. Who? They that believe. Did it say the guy with the special fire baptism? It didn't even say that, did it? It just said believers. Whoever believes in my name, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. How will they recover? Because they are operating in the authority that's been given to Jesus in heaven and in earth. And that authority includes dominance over things like sickness and disease and even death. And you understand when you're moving in the name of Jesus, you are moving under the authority of the one who's got authority in every realm that exists. See, that's a phenomenal point that we can't get our minds around. That's like me saying, yeah, there was a billion people there. And you go, oh, there's a lot of people. No, I mean, a billion is a lot. You can't even picture it. And I'm telling you, in the name of Jesus, you have all authority in heaven and earth because you believe. In the name of Jesus, you have all authority in heaven and earth because you believe. See, if that weren't true, then why would we do prayer? What a waste of time. We should go do picketing. But instead, we believe that when we pray in the name of Jesus, things move in the spirit and in the natural. And the way that things move in the spirit and the natural is because there's one name that has all authority, and that's the name of Jesus. And I think what's happened to us is we've gotten very used to the term or the phrase, in Jesus' name, yet we have almost lost the truth of the power and the authority that that name wields. And so what we need is great revelation of the authority in the name of Jesus. Because I believe if we will get revelation of the authority that's in that name, it will change the way that we approach prayer, it will change the way that we approach um, demon issues, and it will change the way that we approach people with sickness and disease. Now, I want to tell you a story. I've, uh, I've had the opportunity to be in on 20 to 25 uh, deliverances uh, of people that have, have had demons where they were in what I would call a controlling manifestation. And, um, you know, we've all done the thing where we just pray for the guy and we say, I break the spirit of whatever, whatever, in Jesus' name. And, and it's like, you feel any better? Well, maybe, and, okay, they go away. But I'm not talking about that version. I'm talking about the version 
where there's multiple voices coming out of the person and they're foaming or doing superhuman strength. I've probably been in 20 or 25 encounters with demons manifesting through people like that. I remember one time when I was in Mexico, I was uh, there with a, a few people on a missions trip, and uh, this woman began to speak to us in English, and uh, she, was, she, was, it was, she was speaking from a third-person point of view in English and talking about how she was owned by someone else. And we asked the pastor, we said, what, what does this mean? He said, well, he goes, she doesn't speak English. In fact, she barely speaks Spanish. She's indigenous. She's from the hills. She speaks a, a dialect of Aztec. And she was speaking to us in English, telling us that she was owned by the devil. That's a controlling manifestation. So the first time that I ever had to deal with one of those uh, by myself, flying solo, I remember I was in a couple with this, this person that was operating the discerning of spirits, and they could see the demons on the people and in the people, and I was like, okay, I like being with them. Well, the first time I had to do it by myself, it was like, uh, I mean, it was like, oh, man. I mean, I literally said, hey, get the phone and call so-and-so. I don't know what to do with this. And uh, what had happened was this, this young girl began to manifest demons, and she had witchcraft in her family and her background. And, uh, and, uh, and she began to, I mean, I won't go into all the details. It was a, it was a three- to four-hour ordeal. But she began to vomit large mouthfuls of phlegm all over our youth room. That doesn't make for a good youth service, I'll tell you that. And she began to speak in multiple voices, and she began to do chants and dancing, spinning all around and laughing all over the room. It was at the end of the service, so I got everybody out of there, and we were trying to get her under control or get the demons out or something. And I remember sitting her down in a chair in front of me, and I said, Now... In the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. In the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. In the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. And her head was down. And I, will, I just remember this like it was yesterday. She did this. She went and looked at me. And, and, the, and the demon said to her, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. <laughs> and started laughing. Oh, yeah, that was a fun night. Well, I came face to face with the reality of this. Either Jesus' name doesn't work, or the guy using it didn't believe it. Now, that young lady, she didn't show up again at our youth group for a, a month. And... Uh, and then she did show back up. And when she did, the, the power of God came and she began to manifest again. And this time the Lord told me, forget everything you think you know. He said, I want you to use the name of my son and I want you to say it one time and wait. And it was the most incredible encounter. I mean, I mean I've had many, several, but this was so incredible for me at that time because this, this girl, was, she was out of control again. And I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to forget everything, and I'm going to, begin to, I'm going to, say, I'm going to give commands one time, and I'll wait for that to work, because the name of Jesus is the name that's above every other name. And, and at the name of Jesus, every knee has to bow, and every tongue has to confess that Jesus is Lord. Every one has to. 
Obey that name. And I, and I remember she was, in a, she was in a zombied up state, sort of walking around in this comatose, in this room. And, uh, and I said, now, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come to over here and sit down. And she kept walking. And I looked at the, the guy that was my assistant, and I said, now, I said that in the name of Jesus, didn't I? He said, yeah. And I said to him, I said, now either the name of Jesus uh, is the name above every name or the Bible's not true. Isn't that right? He goes, that's right. The name of Jesus has to be the name above every name. I go, that's right. So the name of Jesus is the name above every name. So she has to sit down, doesn't she? And he goes, yeah, that's right. And this, I'm having a conversation. She's still walking around. <laughs> it's not working is my point. And we're, I'm just talking myself into faith is my point. And finally, I go, so that the name of Jesus has to work, and she has to sit down. Isn't that correct? He goes, that's right. And about that time, she went and sat right in front of me. I go, oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's working. <laughs> about that time, she started growling, and she put her head down, and she's growling at me. And I said, in the name of Jesus, stop growling. And she kept growling. And my friend and I, my assistant, I said, I said the same thing. I said, now the name of Jesus has to work, and she's going to have to quit growling. Isn't that correct? He goes, that's right. And about that time, she went, and stopped growling. <laughs> and, and she wouldn't look me in the eye. And I said, now look at me in the name of Jesus. And she would not look. And I said, I had the same conversation with her. I mean, it's 30, 45 seconds, a minute. And that's a long time when you're trying to use faith. And I said, this has to work or the name of Jesus isn't real. Isn't that right? He said, that's right. And she went and looked right at me. And then she rolled her eyes up in her head. <laughs> so I had the head straight, but the eyes were up. The devil didn't want to look at me. Same thing. Look at me. Put her eyes straight in the name of Jesus. Took a minute or two, and the eyes came straight. Do you know we were only in there for about another 30 minutes, and she was completely delivered, completely set free, back to herself, talking normally, no demons controlling her. What was the difference between the first time that took me four hours and I got my head kicked in and the next time it took me 30 minutes? I had to believe or it, or it was not going to work. Now, I'm not going to tell you I believe and use the name of Jesus and, and believe it every single time I use it. I'm not going to tell you that. But I've got that one clear before and after of, of that one example in my life where I know for sure that second time I believed it. Where I know for sure that first time I didn't. How do I know? Because the devil said it back to me and mocked me when I said the name of Jesus. Reminding me of the seven sons of Sceva. Yeah. Paul I know and Jesus I know. Now who are you again? And what are you trying to do in Jesus' name? Because you don't have it. And so I'm coming to grips with this. That I think we, and I'm talking about our community and us that are calling the name of the Lord, that are Christians. I think we use the name of Jesus often but we don't believe the power of that name. And I think what happens to us is this. We're so, uh, we're so, uh, we so habitually use the name of Jesus without considering the authority of the name that when it comes down to a time when we really have to use it, we really got to get the deal done, and we try to use his name, we were so used to using it without employing faith and seeing authority be manifest that when we really need it, we're so used to doing it that way, we can't get it done. And I believe that's one of the reasons. I don't think that's the only reason. But I believe it's one of the main reasons why we do not see results when we pray in Jesus' name. Especially as it relates to the issues of healing. Now let me take you to Mark chapter 16. I'm not going to get near what I want to get to tonight. That's okay, huh? 
I want to take you to Mark 16. Now here's the same commission in verse 15. I just quoted it a minute ago. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. He's giving us, he's giving us the features of what it takes to disciple the nations. These are the other things that go into seeing nations completely discipled. They've got to believe. They've got to get baptized. You're going you're to see that happen by casting out demons. This is what he's telling them. He goes, and these signs will follow those who believe. Those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Now look at verse 19. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. What kind of signs? The signs that he just mentioned there in in 16, 17, and 18. Now, what's interesting to me is this. We look at the disciples and we think, well, man, they must have just been, I mean, incredible men of faith and power. I mean, they walked with Jesus for three and a half years. And, I mean, they, you know, they laid hands on the sick. They cast out demons. I mean, when they went out and they came back, they said, man, Jesus, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Everything moves, Jesus, when we use your name. And then it was shortly after that that they tried to cast the demon out of this little boy who was getting thrown into the fire and he was convulsing and he was frothing at the mouth and they couldn't get the job done. And Jesus shows up and he says, they they ask the right question. They go, how come we couldn't get it done? I think I would ask the same question. And Jesus says to them, you couldn't get it done because you didn't believe. I mean, just a few weeks, months earlier, they were healing the sick, casting out demons. And then Jesus tells those guys, those very guys, he says, you didn't believe this time. Huh, that lets me know that faith can ebb and flow. One time it can be on 10, the next time it can be on two. Or less than two. I think they must have been in the negatives. Because he says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed and cast in the sea, and what you say will come to pass. But here I'm looking at this commissioning, and they go out after this commission, and they get all sorts of signs, wonders, and miracles done. But look up just a few verses before that. Look at verse 14. After Jesus was raised from the dead, look at verse 14. Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and their hardness of heart. Why? Why would he rebuke them? He corrected them strongly. That's what a rebuke is. He strongly corrected them. Why? Because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Let's just think about this for a minute. He rebukes the 11 and he says, guys, your hearts are hard and you've been in unbelief. And that's why you couldn't believe Mary when she said that I was raised from the dead. I'm thinking about this and I'm looking, I'm thinking, man, that's a strong, tough word. Because here's why. Put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. One minute they're having the nice Passover meal. It's one of the most intimate uh, records we have of the disciples together. The next minute, Jesus is being arrested. 
by an envoy of soldiers and the high priests are, are, are commissioning them to, to arrest Jesus, they get to see Jesus, you know, treated spitefully. And what happens in between the time he's arrested and then the time that he has to, to carry his cross is they rip out his beard, completely rip his beard out. They pound a, 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 a crown of thorns. They weave a circle of thorns together. They put it on his head and they beat it into his head with a rod so that the spikes are penetrating into the skull. His face is completely bloodied. And they, they scourge his back with a cat of nine tails, which is a whip with nine extensions. Within the end of each extension is a piece of glass or rock or metal. And every whip, they pull it and it rips the flesh off. Some would tell you it was 39 times. But that was the law of the Jews. And the Romans were the ones that scourged Jesus. Paul says, 30, you know, I received stripes 39 times from the Jews. But the Romans didn't have such a law. They just ripped uh, the skin off the back until the guy was near death. Many times they would die of the Roman scourge alone. So they beat Jesus mercilessly. So they see him arrested. They see him being treated, being hit. The next time they see him, he's got a, this, this crown of thorns beaten, these, these big old holes now in his, in his head where blood is streaming down his face. His face is completely ripped off. His back is a bloody hamburger mess. And they're watching him faint under the, the weight of a cross that he could have normally carried, but he is, he's near death. They watch them take Jesus, pierce his arms, pierce his legs, and they watch him crucified. They watch as they drop the cross in the ground that his shoulder uh, joints get completely dislocated. They watch him die. And then they watch the soldier pierce his side, and they watch blood and water flow from his side. They watch it happen. And then they watch him get buried. And they watch them roll the stone in front of the tomb and seal the stone. Now imagine that's you. You watch your best friend beaten to death, crucified, murdered in front of masses. You watch him die and you watch him and you watch them take him to the funeral and you watch them put him in the ground. And then one of your friends goes to the tomb the next day and comes running back to your house and says, He's alive, he's alive, he's alive, I swear he's alive. You just look at him and go, honey, it's okay. We all saw him die. It's okay. No, I saw it. He's alive. The tomb is open. Come, come see the tomb's open. And so you go to the tomb to sort of appease your friend, and the tomb is open, and there's this, you know, burial clause there, but, you know, there's no way he's alive. I mean, somebody clearly stole his body. I mean, who, who could roll the stone away? No dead man can roll a stone away. Somebody clearly stole his body. And so they go, you know, it's okay, Mary. It's okay. We all want him to be back with us, but it's, it's not happening. Then he appears to a couple on the road to Emmaus, and he opens the scriptures to them, and, and they see him. And then he appears in their midst. And when he appears in their midst, he sets the bar of belief at you should have believed that I was alive. What? You mean I'm in unbelief if I don't believe that my best friend who just got buried in front of my eyes is now alive? He's setting the standard for faith. I mean, in the realm of supernatural. 
He was the one that said, all things are possible if you only believe. All things are possible. And he has to correct them strongly because they would not believe in the supernatural as normal. The supernatural as normal. And that's where I think we kind of miss it. We kind of mix Christianity and the culture of the kingdom of God and the power of the kingdom of God. We kind of mix it with a bunch of, uh, you know, sort of self-help psychology and, and sort of um, some fables. And, and, and we just sort of mix it with, you know, we just kind of mix it all together and we call that Christianity. But Christianity believes in the supernatural. It believes in the high bar. We believe that the Christ is risen from the dead. That's our core reality. How much more should we believe that when we use the name of the one who's risen from the dead, that cancer has no chance? AIDS has no chance. It can't have a chance. Why? Because the name of Jesus has all authority in heaven and in earth. And here's where we live. We live in this place of praying and using the name of Jesus and we sort of use it and we use it in a passive way. We use it saying, you know, God, do something in Jesus' name. And we sort of take the responsibility off of us and ask God to do something again. But the challenge is this. He's already died, he's already been risen, and he's already given his name that has all authority in it. What more is there to sort of do? Oh, you need power? Well, he said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then that makes you a witness. How come it's going to make you a witness? Because you're going to do signs and wonders and miracles through the power that's going to flow through you because you're authorized by the name of Jesus. But I need more. I need a fire baptism. Let's just deal with that thought because I just heard it. Turn over to Acts uh, chapter 1. I might just show up and yell about all this again next week. I'm dealing with this with myself and I'm, I'm struck over how little, how, how few times I've actually used the name believing the authority that's in it. I'm struck over it. I'm going, oh, no. Ah, I want to rip my garments. Because I'm like, how could I use that name without comprehending what I'm actually using? It's not a tagline on a prayer. It's the name that holds all authority. It holds all authority. That means we should be able to move anything that needs to get moved. First John, I mean, he says, if you know that your heart isn't condemning you, he goes, and you believe in the name of Jesus, ask what you wish, it'll be done for you. He goes, if you pray according to his will, everything you ask, you'll have it if you believe. I mean, it's just crazy what he says. You know what's interesting about the 17 miracles, miracle accounts that are recorded in the book of Acts? Check this out. Only two of them, they're recorded uh, th that they're using the name of Jesus, only twice. 
It's, it's uh, Peter at the gate, beautiful, and Paul when he casts the demon out of the, uh, the woman with the spirit of divination. Only two times do we see them actually say, in the name of Jesus. But other times we see, uh, like Peter, he raises the, the woman Tabitha from, from the dead, and he just says, arise. He doesn't even say the name of Jesus. Why? How come he didn't have to say the name of Jesus that, that time? Because he knew he was in the name of Jesus. He knew he was in it. He knew he was in Christ. And after a while, he was just like, get up. Paul is preaching at Lystra, and he looks, and there's the man. He's, he goes, he perceived that he had faith to be healed. He goes, get up. Why? Because he was in the name of, he was already preaching in the name of Jesus. He was already going in the name of Jesus. So when he was ministering, guess what he was doing? In the name of Jesus. Get up. He didn't have to say it because he knew he was already in it. Acts 1.8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me. You shall be witnesses unto me. He's, he's, it's not that you will go witnessing. You become a witness, a testimony of the gospel. How do believers become a testimony of the gospel? Because we manifest the power of the kingdom that the gospel has made us a part of. We manifest the power of the kingdom of God, and we are a witness of that kingdom. Now, here's what's interesting. In Acts 2, the, the power of God comes on them, right? The, the tongues of fire land on their heads. I mean, that's just a good prayer meeting right there. I mean, 120 people in a room, they're waiting for 10 days, and fire shows up and lands on everybody. Ben, how do we get that? We already got it. I mean, we don't have the tongues appearing, of fire appearing to everybody, but how do I know we got it? Because in Acts 10, just write it down, when Peter goes to Cornelius' house, here, let me do the theology on this. This is a fable we believe. We believe that the disciples got a special fire baptism and that we're waiting for a fire baptism like they got. That's what we believe. Most believers think that way. I need power. Most believers think I need power. But the Bible says you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So in Acts 2, they receive the Holy Spirit and they get power. We see Peter immediately uh, getting the lame man healed at the gate beautiful. And we look at Peter and we go, man, Peter had power, but I don't have power, but Peter had power. But Peter says this in Acts 10 when he goes to Cornelius' house, he goes to some Gentiles' houses. They don't even, they're just paying alms and believing of the God that's up there. Like they're, they're like this. Their theology is, oh, God up there in the sky, I'm giving this poor man some money because you're up there somewhere. Like that's their theology. And they say, we heard that Peter guy has got something about God up in the sky. Come over, Peter, and tell us. Peter shows up and begins to preach the gospel, and the Holy Spirit falls on them. And you know what Acts 10 says? It's when Peter's recounting in Acts chapter 11. He says, it fell on them just like it fell on us. And my point is this. Those Gentile guys that didn't have a clue, they didn't get some special endowment of power that was different than what you got when you got the Holy Spirit. There's no way. They didn't qualify somehow. They were barely even saved. They weren't even saved. They got saved while he was preaching. And how do we know they got saved? Because the Holy Ghost came on them. There wasn't some special endowment. 
And we've put it off and said, well, when I get power, then I'll heal the sick. No, you received the Holy Spirit and power came on you. And guess what else you have? You have the name of Jesus that has all authority in it. If we would connect our faith to the reality of this name, I promise you, something would happen. Something would move when we pray. But instead, the truth of the matter is this. If they could have been hard of heart and, and dull in unbelief after living three and a half years with Jesus, if the disciples could have been that, guess what we can be right now? Dull of heart and hard. And in unbelief. It's really true, beloved. You know how I know? Because here's how I know. My heart is hard and carnal in so many areas. I've studied intimacy real strong in my mind for the last four years. But you know what? I still struggle with believing that God likes me sometimes. I still struggle with believing that I'm his favorite one sometimes. Why? Because my heart's hard. And I need to meditate on those verses to know the way he thinks and feels about me. Now, if I've been in those verses for four years, I'm the guy that taught Song of Solomon a couple times here, by the way. And you know what I'm saying? Like, I've taught Father Heart and I teach intimacy all the time. And if I still struggle with it, guess what? That's talking about the hardness of my own heart. Now, if that's true about my faith as it, believes, as it relates to the knowledge of God and believing who he is toward me and his affections... How much more is it true about how I believe about the power of God manifesting the supernatural in front of me in his name when I don't see the result? Do I say, well, it's not true of God that he loves me because I don't feel it? No, it's still true that he loves me even when I don't feel it. So could I then also make the point that when we say it's not true that I've got power to minister healing when we don't see it? Could I, can I also say that's not true either? It's just that I don't believe that I've got it just like I didn't believe that he liked me? All right, check this out. I was going to make a point, but I've hit a bunny trail, and so now I don't know what I'm going to say. But Acts 3, I want to say. I told you I've been on this so much, and it's just, it's gripping me, and it's, it's wanting me to get us all up. But you know what I know we've got to do? We've got to meditate in these verses. We've got to get these verses in us. Somebody's going to get around the idea that the name of Jesus has got all authority in it, and they're going to begin to go, you know what? I believe this thing actually works. Get up. Be healed. I believe I'm in the name. Now watch this. Acts 3. Now, we would say Peter had a special, many would believe that Peter had a special endowment of power. I'm trying to tell you he had the same baptism that you and I have. And here's what happens in, in Acts 3. Now, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Now, Jesus had walked in the temple several different times, and he walked right past this guy. How do I know he walked right past this guy? Because that guy was laid there daily. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. Alms is, give me some money because I am crippled. That's what alms is. Give me some money because I am poor. Who's seeing Peter and John asked for, uh, about to go into the temple, asked for alms, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. What was he expecting to receive? Money. He was asking for money, and, and Jesus, uh, Peter goes, hey, look at me. He goes, oh, good. Peter said, verse 6, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. 
And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. But he leaping up stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I mean, how cool is that? Everybody knows that's the cripple guy, and now he's dancing and praising the Lord. I mean, that would cause a stir. I love what Peter said. He goes, I don't have any money for you, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Now, one person would say, well, right there, see, he said he had something. He had special power to raise that guy up. And I'm not going to say he didn't have power. He did. He'd receive a, a, a fire baptism a few days earlier, but that fire baptism is no different than the fire baptism you and I have with the Holy Spirit. And how do I know that it wasn't a special endowment of power on Peter? Because Peter tells us in the next verse or two exactly how that man got healed. That man got healed this way. Verse 11, now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John and all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why are you marveling at this? He goes, or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Peter goes, I don't have any special power. He goes, in fact, I'm not even that godly. He goes, if you want to know my testimony, 60 days ago I was rejecting Jesus to a servant girl and cussing. He goes, I haven't earned a thing. This is not by my own godliness. He goes, if you want to know, verse 13, he goes, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence presence of Pilate when he determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and just and asked for a murderer to be granted you and killed the Prince of Life. He goes, and his name, verse 16, his name, through faith in his name, His name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, who you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Peter goes, if you want to know what it was that got this man well, he didn't say, I've received a special fire baptism that people are going to have to tarry for, and they're going to have to qualify to receive it. And if they pray a real long time, then they'll really get some power, and then they'll be able to heal people. It's not what he said. He said, if you want to know what made him well, it's the name of Jesus. He goes, and faith in his name. That's how this man got well. Who was believing, by the way, in the name of Jesus? Who was, who was doing the believing? Was it the man? It was Peter. Peter. He goes, I've got, I've got something. I'm going to give it to you, sir. He goes, I've got authorization in the name of Jesus. Now, you might not know what that is, but I know that it's the name above every other name. It's the name that all heaven and all earth has to bow to. He goes, I've got something. I've got a commissioning that enables me to go in this name. And when I say, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk, you are healed. Now, my desire is that we would move into a place of believing that the name works. 
that, believing that the name has authority. Believing that that name has authority. All authority. All authority. All authority. You know where our challenge is, and I'm just going to say this, and I'm going a little bit long, but I want you to tune in with me just for one more minute. Acts 4. Here's our challenge for us in the house of prayer that pray for God to stretch forth his hand and heal. Here's the way we pray it. We pray Acts 4, and we say, uh, verse 29, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. And, and they're asking that they be filled with boldness. Why? By, by stretching out your hand to heal, that God would stretch out his hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And here's what we do. We pray, God, stretch forth your hand to heal. Stretch forth your hand to heal. And so what we say is, stretch forth your hand to heal, and we sit down waiting on God to stretch forth his hand to heal. But I don't think that's how it's supposed to go. I think he said that signs and wonders would be done through the name your holy servant Jesus and that the stretching forth of the hand of the Lord to heal is in conjunction with people who have faith in the name of Jesus and so when we pray God stretch forth your hand to heal I think a lot of times we just move into passive mode and sort of take the responsibility of, off of us to believe but I think there's a different realm that we're supposed to be moving into that we actually employ the name believing that it works. Believing that it works. And here's how it plays out. If all of a sudden sirens begin to go off outside and a, and a, and a, a car, you know, a cavalcade of cars. Is that the word cavalcade? What is it? Car, bunch of cars came up. And <laughs> cavalcade? Did I make that word up? Anyway, something like that. Bunch of cars came up, sounded like a good word. Limousines and guys, Secret Service men got out and they had glasses on and suits and they're talking into their sleeves and stuff. And all of a sudden, bam, George Bush walks in. We were all like, wow, the president. Amazing. What do we do now? I mean, imagine how uncool we'd feel for a moment. We wouldn't know how to handle it. We'd be like, welcome, President Bush. And, and, and George Bush walks in here and goes, now, I'm not going to do a George Bush impersonation because I can't, but he walks in here and he goes, now, I am giving authority in the name of the U.S. government for you to be deputized to go in the authority of the U.S. government and, and arrest people who are doing wrong. Here, have a, <laughs> have a badge. U.S. government authority badge. And so you leave here and you go, I've been deputized. I've been commissioned. I have a badge. And you walk into the store and you see a, a bank robber. And, and say he said, you know, when you use this badge, uh, you walk into the store and you see a robber. He says, when you use this badge, I'm giving you this, you know, this button and you can press it and it's going to bring the cavalry. You know, we're going we're gonna to just take crime over. And you go, Ray, Great. You got your badge, you got your button. So you go in the store and you say, you see somebody robbing it and you go, in the name of the U.S. government, put that gun down. And they look at you and they go, I don't think so. You know, at that point, you get to believe that you're either deputized or you're not. If you believe you're not, 
You go, I am so sorry. I so did not mean that. And you are so, so right to have that gun. I'm just going to excuse myself. I didn't even see your face. Goodbye. And you will leave. But if you were there and you, you believed in you and the fact that you were commissioned and you saw the robber, you'd press that button and you would stand tall. You'd say, in the name of the government of the United States of America, there are, I mean, legions of law enforcement officers coming upon you right now. You should put your gun down. Oh, yeah, yeah, put your gun down. You would have a whole different posture. You would have a whole different mentality. You know, you wouldn't like press the button and go, put your gun down. He goes, I don't think so. He goes, it didn't work. You go, no, I am deputized. I am authorized. You would have a different mentality. I think sometimes our mentality about the name of Jesus is we go like this. We do just like I did with that girl that was manifesting the demon. We go, in the name of Jesus. We get our, our most holy sounding authority voice. In the name of Jesus, come out. And the demon looks back and goes, right. And we go, gosh, it doesn't work. And we quit. And we make up fables as to why God's power doesn't work for us. We say, well, God's withholding his power because we couldn't handle it if he poured it out upon us. I mean, that's a great idea, but where's that in the verses? Like, where is it? Well, no, he's restraining because he doesn't want to, you know, make too much of a scene and, and cause us to be haughty. Well, where does it say that? And we would rather believe in superstition and fable as to why it doesn't work than to roll the dice and extend our faith to believe this thing as it's written. But I'm telling you, we've got to believe it. We've got to believe it. We've got to believe this book. Either the book is true or it's not. And I'm telling you, I've gone through the verses and I could be totally seeing it wrong. And maybe I am. And if I'm wrong, I mean, bring it to me and show it to me. I'll stand up here and I will correct it all. But I have looked and looked and looked and I... I can't see any other way. His name, by faith in his name. Peter said, not because I'm a special guy. It was his name. By faith in his name has made this man well. You know what Peter was writing? He was writing a 50-day high. Yeah, he denied Jesus a few days before that, but what does he get? He gets Jesus on the beach with him, walking, talking with the risen Christ. And then he gets 40 more days talking with Jesus personally, face-to-face, about the kingdom of God. Jesus is breaking it down for Peter. And then he goes and tarries in Jerusalem, and he gets the most, I mean, incredible prayer meeting. The fire of God falls. He goes out and preaches, and when he preaches, there's authority and power on his words, and 3,000 get born again. Of course, when Jesus shows up at the gate of the temple and sees some guy that's on the ground that's, like, you know, lame, he goes, get up in Jesus' name. I've got something. He believed it. It's just like you and I, when things are going well, you know, we got some faith. When challenges come, you know, it's like, well, I don't know. Glad I'm saved today. I'm the same way. I'm telling you, this book 
It's either real or God's a liar. But let God be true. Let every man be a liar. I'm going to go down believing it. I'm going to go down believing that the name of Jesus has all authority. I'm going to lay my hands on people, and regardless of whether or not they get healed or not, the name of Jesus still has all authority, and I've still been commissioned. I'm going to believe it. I am going to believe it. And I'm going to act like I've actually been commissioned with the man whose name has all authority. I've been commissioned to go in his name. I'm going to act that way. I want to call us to act that way, to begin to believe it, to meditate on the verses, and to begin to employ faith in the name of Jesus. Good, amen. Let's just stand. My desire isn't that we would just get hyped up. My desire is that the culture of our community would shift as it relates to us using this name. We would set our heart on the supernatural, on miracles. I believe he longs to demonstrate the power of the kingdom of God. I believe he longs to demonstrate the power of the kingdom of God. He just wants a people who believe. Who believe. Who believe. I feel like the man with the son who, the son was getting thrown in the fire and the disciples couldn't cast it out. And, and Jesus said, all things are possible if you'll believe. And the man said, I believe. Oh, Lord, help my unbelief. That's how I feel. Author truth, Lord. Author truth in our hearts. Author truth. I want to anchor to the truth of the name of Jesus. God, where we've been hard-hearted and unbelieving, where we repent, we repent. I repent, Jesus. I repent. I don't presume there to be something wrong with you. I presume it, Jesus, to be on my hardness of heart. Soften my heart with the truth of your word. All things are possible to them that believe. His name, by faith in his name, has made this man well, given him the perfect soundness in the presence of you all. In my name, they that believe shall lay hands on the sick, and the sick shall recover. If your heart does not condemn you, ask what you desire. Believing on the name of Jesus and it shall be done for you. The name above every name. It's the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. All authority is in the name. All authority is in the name. All authority is in the name. 
All authority is in the name. All authority in heaven and earth. It's in the name. It's in the name. Sickness cannot stand against the name of Jesus. Disease cannot stand against the name of Jesus. Infirmity cannot stand against the name of Jesus. The name above every name. All authority in heaven and earth. All things have been given to you by your Father. All authority in heaven and earth is in the name of Jesus. Lord, we go in your name. We go in your name. 